Hi, Jay. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? Not bad. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. All right. <laughs> nice to talk to you. Oh, look at that. Oh. I like it. Oh, that line is like coffee to some people. That's great. <laughs> well, I'm ready for you, whatever it is. So, Dana Block, you are like like just a couple of days away from opening this this uh, a very power-packed show in New York. Monkey yeah. Man. Now, Monkey Man yeah. sounds rather funny. Sounds like it's going to be this humorous piece. But something tells me uh, we're, we're laughing amid our tears. Tell our listeners all about Monkey Man. Well, actually, I do consider it a very funny piece because I don't think I want to go to the theater and just be, uh, you know, just go and cry, cry, cry and get super depressed. Um, so I think it's a really well-rounded piece. I love to laugh and I've got a good sense of humor. So that's, it's, um, that's what I've done with it. I've found all the absurdity because I see the whole event of my brother becoming mentally ill and then hitchhiking out of town and uh, my parents' desperate <laughs> desire, you know, and trials in trying to figure out what was going on with him and save him through various methods of setting him up in business or putting him on anti-drug treatment. Um, so I, the, the show is composed of, I would say the first half is very, very funny because it's all these tales from childhood and it's him. It's how he was. He was hilarious. So uh, the show begins uh, when I have not seen him for 20 years, and I go, I somehow wrangle out of my mother where he is. My mom did not want to tell me, because she, she had finally established some connection with him after he'd been on the road for years, and, you know, in and out, half the time they didn't know if he was even alive. She finally got him to move into a motel room, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he said, so, so, I'm sorry to interrupt, so, so 20 years, sure. did he just one day get up and leave the house? No, he, uh, at the end of high school, he started to sort of wind out. I mean, things just weren't going well. He d decided not to go to college, and he was running around town doing really weird stuff. And he was always a really animated, funny person, funny guy. So at first people, and especially my parents, didn't know, you know, if he was just being more and more absurd. And, of course, we were smoking pot and doing teenage stuff. Um, and we were rebellious. So, but it gradually became clear that it was way beyond that because he was very aggressive. He'd jump in front of cars. You know, he was talking crazy stuff. And then he just started to leave home time after time again. He'd steal, he'd take dad's car and drive out of town till he ran out of gas. The highway patrol would call, say, we've got your son here and he's talking pretty strange. And my dad would go get him, bring him home, and then the cycle would start again. It, that must have happened 20 times. Then he, uh, he became, he was trying to construct a life for himself, really, so he declared himself a highwayman. And he went out on the road, and finally he left home for good when he was about 25. Went out to, uh, gonna be a highwayman. I, I, uh, I keep drivers awake at night, and I tell them my stories. Then he'd tell them these crazy stories about the combustion engine has three moving parts, uh, which can be controlled through the aspiration of the concern and location of the apprehendi. Then he'd go on these long, crazy ramps. Was that uh, was that when your parents finally said, "Okay, wait a minute, this is 
This is not somebody who's stoned who wants to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, I think the last thing that happened was that my parents took him up to the Mayo Clinic because, you know, I kept telling them, it's not drugs. I know it's not drugs, but they kept insisting it's drugs. So they took him up to the Mayo Clinic for a big drug rehab program that they thought would finally fix him. And after that, it was clear that it wasn't drugs. Um, the weird thing is, is that Mark was in and out of psychiatric uh, wards. He'd get arrested hitchhiking for yelling at people or something. But he was never diagnosed because he could talk perfect sense when he wanted to. So, uh, so, so he could almost him, fool them. He, he, he was brilliant enough oh, to yeah. actually fool them. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, looking back, I think it must have been like... You know, episodes, like he'd go through episodes, and then he'd come out in and out. So it must be something like a bipolar, manic episodes and some schizophrenia. I don't know, because he definitely was hearing voices from time to time. And, uh, you know, his thought patterns were wild. And one of the ways I absolutely know this is because he wrote constantly during these years between 18 and 25 when he was home. He just wrote, that was his outlet. Uh, we had a really creative family my mom was a classical pianist. My dad was an actor and a writer. And uh, it was uh, just very artistic uh, culture in our house. And so, my, and so Mark, when he became, uh, was going through this mental uh, breakdown, he, he wrote, he drew, he wrote, he drew. When he left at 25 to go on the road to be a highwayman, um, he, uh, all this stuff was left behind. And then eventually I got this stuff and said, wow, this is fascinating and amazing. And of course, I missed him like hell. So I constructed a show partially out of that material. And then I looked at photos and, you know, uh, kind of reconstructed our childhood. And, and I think I was reconstructing what the hell happened, you know, where we started from and then when he left. And then he left. He left for good, and um, my mom, uh, once she got him into the hotel room, she wouldn't tell anybody where he was, and she was in very bad health at that time, and she, there's no way she was going to be able to see him, so I had to wrangle it out of her where he was. Finally did, found out he was at a place called the Trails End Motel in Niagara Falls. That's so ironic. That's yeah. just the very name of it. Oh, my gosh. I know, I know, honeymoon capital of the world. This place was so run down, you know, even the pink flamingos were crapped out <laughs> on the front lawn. <laughs> so now, did you get a chance to see him? Did you get a chance to actually speak so to him? Yeah. So the show starts, um, pretty much starts uh, with me, it's a circle. So I, I'm going, I'm beginning my trip. I'm going down to Niagara Falls to see him. And I standing at the door and I'm knocking and then I circle back to childhood then come back to the door and he opens the door and yes this did indeed happen he just he won't come out he's just standing in there kind of staring at me with a wide-eyed you know stare very intense stare then I go back around to when he was a high in high school and later in the hitchhiking part of the story and some of his rants so his so monologue. that makes sense because I saw the the promotional video and you have this wildly fascinating choreographed sequence at the beginning. So that's your that's that, that's your you. dance that's your dance version of, of hunting down your 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 uh, 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 brother. 
Well, that's interesting that that's what you saw. It's at the beginning, and it's actually a, uh, it opens the show, and it's him hitchhiking, you know, leaving home. I mean, that was a rehearsal tape that you saw, and right. I uh, kind of sculpted that a bit, but it opens the show, he's hitchhiking, he's on the road, he's trying to find a ride, nobody will pick him up, and uh, he gets a little bit crazy and then goes to sleep. And, and then that's when I start the story. How was it to speak to him um, when you when you saw him again after after two decades? So it was very brief. It was Mark. Can you come to the door? And then he had, you know, I tell in the story he he uh, he made this uh, he, when he was a kid. He started talking like John Wayne. It's a, it's a crazy story. My dad called himself the Duke. So my brother. Uh, fashioned himself after my father and called himself the Little Duke. And then at about 10, he started talking with a, with a big old Texas accent. So, I mean, he's alive. I talk to him now. And when I, in the story, when I went to Niagara Falls to see him, you know, and he came to the door, he said, hi, you know, no, you can't come in. I'm in bed. I, you know, I got to get back to bed. I'm busy and you can't come in the room. And I was just trying to, I was like, Mark, I, you know, mom's getting older and I, I want, can I give you my number or can I, do you want to get breakfast or something? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. No, ma'am. Got to go back to bed. How did, how did he support himself? How did he live? Your, your mother was, was basically financing him, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very, it, it, uh, he's still in the same situation, very rundown motel and, you know, it's pretty consistently been like these first generation, uh, motel owners who have just come to the United States can barely speak English and they're just starting their first businesses and they are very happy to make some kind of an arrangement where he can essentially stay, you know, uh, month by month at a very, very cheap price. Well, sure, just to keep the place open, especially if it's if it's yeah. the way you described. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where he's been staying. Those places that are just on their last leg and you know, a poor family that's just come to the country and is trying to get on the first rung of the ladder uh, purchases the motel. Is he still? He's still in that kind of situation today. Yeah, well. he is. Now, yeah, he's in uh, Salt Lake City now, and uh, he's happy. I mean, once he got, he was on the road for fifteen years, I guess. You know, oh and in one of his, yeah, one of his monologues, he's saying like, "I never was sure whether or not I'd ever find another ride again." It was pain and agony. I never knew where I was going to eat. I mean, it was like, and and in going over this material so many times and taking it into myself as the actor, I realized, like, he was trying to prove himself to mom and dad. He was, he was a, you know, he was a young man trying to make a life, to have a life, to build a respectable life on, on some kind of terms. So he, he became a highwayman. You know, that was oh, it. My. A highwayman. He was going to be good at it, you know, brave. He had to, my dad was uh, a vet, a, a decorated vet of World War II. Um, second Lieutenant Field Artillery, and he was at the landing at Anzio Beach, <laughs> which was a brutal part of World War II. And so my brother, I realized another thing, you know, that how deep that, how close and how intimidated he was by my dad and how his life kind of took on this whole military uh even though my dad really wasn't like that when he came home. Your parents uh, are no longer with you. No longer with me, no. Okay. Uh -uh. And so how is he supporting yeah. himself now? Um, he was left, they they left him in good order. I mean, not, it's oh not, my. he has a, a fund 
Um, so uh, hopefully that will stead him through the end of his life. It's not, you know, multi-million dollars. It's maybe just enough to get him through the rest of his life. He probably lives quite austerely, so so yeah, he, he's, he's stretching the pennies. He's stretching the pennies. He's, you know, I think basically it's it's pizza. I think he orders out pizza. Uh, he lives from pizza to pizza. <laughs> oh, brilliant slogan! Uh, uh, yeah, right. Now we're going to see we're going to see this whole story unfold on uh, United Solo Festival this Saturday. But how do you, inside, as his sister, feel? You know, there's your brother, and he's still out there. Oh my gosh, he's still out there. How do you feel about this? You're going to tell us his story, yes. And and I'm I'm gathering that's also some form of catharsis for you to to make his story known. Yeah. But how do you yeah, feel? I think, well, I you know from time it, different parts of the story. Like I just I'm doing it as an actor, but then sometimes I'll I'll like stumble. It's different every time, whether it's rehearsal or show. Um, some part of the story will suddenly become extremely vivid to me and it'll just hurt. And I'll just miss him so much. You know, it's not like that most of the time. But, uh, you know, and, and some of it's really fun. I mean, I love the whole first half of it where I'm doing these stories from when we were kids. And, you know, we would take the car out at night and drive around the neighborhood and we locked the cat in the car and my father got furious and there's a bunch of great stories <laughs> that start to show off. <laughs> oh, your poor cat. Oh, the poor cat, footy cat. <laughs> what, so a, I, what have you learned yeah, about yeah. yourself from this? Now, now you, you've, li- you've, you've told these stories over and over again and, and, and I think the... The, 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 the double-edged sword of a, of a, of a one-person show is that you're almost speaking into a mirror over and over again about whatever yeah. subject this is. Yeah, so you have, you have basically been reiterating to yourself, for lack of a better term, uh, all these yeah. wonderful stories, all these terrible stories, all these heartbreaking yeah. things, and knowing that, that right now, even as we speak, he's ordering a pizza somewhere on the credit card that he was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was uh, bequeathed. Uh, what have you learned about yourself? What, what is... What has happened inside of you because of this? Well, it's interesting because the uh, first time uh, the ending changed. The first ending I had was through my imagination and trying to get to him through gibberish. And then the second ending is what really brought me home and made it all made sense to me where he thinks he is Moses on the Missouri River. Schizophrenia... Yeah, a lot, it's really common in schizophrenia. With schizophrenia, they uh, that they have a messiah complex. That's really common. And uh, but I've ne- and I've talked to several people. I've worked in the mental health field. I have, however, never encountered someone with a Moses complex. It's always been Jesus Christ. And I, thought, I was going wow, to say I I, I knew a, a, a friend's relative. That's exactly what happens. You know, they thought they were yeah. Jesus. Laugh. You're Jewish. Do you think it's because you're Jewish he's decided he's Moses? Right. So he so he becomes Moses on the Missouri River and he talks about floating down the river in a bassinet made of itchy grass and how he cried and the handmaidens found him and they said a son, a son. And then I I uh, make uh, I uh, pretend like I'm blowing the ram's horn, you know, like he. You know that he's been found on the on the uh, Missouri River. You know, and and um, they uh, they're blowing these uh, horns to announce his birth. And then he sings a prayer 
sings a prayer about how the man of God was born to be a man of words, scholar of truth and pain, the way it was given me through, my, through his eternal burning flame. I was born to be a man of words, scholar of truth and pain, the way it was given me through his eternal burning flame. And then there's part of the song, and then here, uh, at the end of the He song, made that up. He created that. Uh, he wrote the words, I was born to be a man of words, scholar of truth and pain. And then I wrote the song. Here's an, from there, and I wrote... Here, here's an interesting question. I've, 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 I, it's something that's... We, we look at Mozart, and we look at uh, these amazing uh, writers and actors and artists and and fine artists, etc. Do you think that in some cases it's like, it's just untreated illness, that this brilliance is coming through with this pain? Yeah, I do. I mean, that, that is, you know, that is part of what I discovered, is that, uh, yeah, I think that's part of the point. That it always Ugh. was part of the point for me to do this show. It's that, because people have a romance around madness. Ah, oh, you know, the brilliance of madness, and oh, he's mad, you know, he's brilliant. And it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a terrifying illness. It's terrifying for the people who have it. They're lost. You know, they really are, they're underground. They're, they they can't keep their thoughts straight. Um, they don't know where they are. They don't know what to hang on to. So, um, and, and yeah. we as a society, we don't necessarily even realize it. We just think, this is that annoying person that, that's, right. that's in our neighborhood. on the street corner. Right, the guy on the street corner is going, God damn it, leave me alone. God, get back. You don't get, you know. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. I'm so glad you, you know, said you that. I, I, I have someone in my neighborhood who does exactly that. There's there's this woman who walks around with a, with a coffee cup all day long telling people what, oh, yeah. how terrible they are. And and everyone goes, ah, shut up. And, you know, they can't. But, but who knows the pain that she's in? Oh, terrible. It's ter- I mean, it's their reality, you know. It's their reality. And I don't know. My brother's been in and out because I can talk to him now, and he sounds perfectly normal. I want to say something in answer to your question before, though, before I forget. What I away, what I've come away from with it this time is to, I think, I realized I wanted to save him. I, I, re- I wanted to save him. My parents wanted to save him, but I also wanted to save him. We were so close as kids. I was, I protected him. Um, and I realized, I think I realized I've come away with this feeling that it was his destiny. Wow. And it hurts me to say that, but that's, that's what I've come to believe because he says you know god made me like this he says um i'm son of abraham um i I carry the sacred scars of my forefathers um i speak to the great one who fashioned me from the swirling dust and in his infinite sweetness uh made me in his own image he made me it's brilliant prose it's brilliant prose that's thank you (laughs) well um, so you, you have left me speechless on this. It's, uh, it, it's really amazing to hear this. Uh, 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 now, now you said, uh, uh, what you feel this time. Now I know you've done the show in your hometown. I know you've taken it on the road yeah. and you're going to continue taking it on yeah. the road. What's yeah, been the reaction? Yeah. What's been the reaction of people? Uh, well, so interesting taking it home because, you know, 
I don't know how many years it's been since I've been there. It's been a long time. And since the whole event happened, and we were kind of a well-known little theatrical family in a cow town, but we were, you know, we were that family, and everybody loved Mark and knew Mark, and then just nobody understood what happened. And um, so taking it home, the little 200 people showed up, uh, and the, uh, there's a, a, a real nice repertory company that sprung up. My old high school theater teacher has uh, founded it, and they're growing and growing, and they just bought the old synagogue and created a theater in there. So the old synagogue happens to be my old synagogue. So, uh, so I performed the show in the old synagogue, and people came from all parts of my life and his life, and uh, there were even a handful of old Jewish people who showed up, and... Um, the reaction was a lot of questions. There were a lot of questions. Uh, there's a big state hospital in St. Joseph. Several people from the old, from the state hospital, which is now a museum, uh, showed up and wanted to know about that he was treated with thorazine and talked about, um, you know, uh, things that have become under, that what's been discovered about thorazine is long-term effects. Somebody asked me, oh, do you think this has aggravated a situation? I mean, and then got a lot of, like, old girlfriends saying, telling me, you know, <laughs> different stories that were very sweet. Um, God, see, I have a really close friend. Mark dated his, her sister. She said, you know, Mark, she always loved Mark, but she said she always thought he was kind of strange. <laughs> huh. So he was just wild and creative. And, the, again, the culture of our house was constant joking, putting on plays, cracking jokes, making wit. You know, witticism, you know, we were, we were kind of singular in that community, that particular community. It's funny, a question pops in my head. Do you think if your parents were not artistic people, if they were just, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Business person, you think it would have been caught yeah. sooner? No, well, it's hard to say. You know, it was the 70s. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't, it was St. Joe, Missouri. You know, and they, they tried, it, you know, medicine. I mean, you know, when I went to visit him 20 years later, uh, medicine had come a long way. And one of the things I was, hoped was that I could get him on some new medicine. You know, because the thing is, they got him on Thorazine for a month or two. And that was it for him. That was it. Because it's such a horrible drug. Right. And uh, I think my parents did... They put him in, there were two hospitals, the state hospital, which was really terrible with, you know, really, really super insane people locked in there. And then they put him in the other hospital and they gave, shot him with Thorazine and, um, I, I don't know, it's, what, that's, you know, it's a question, I guess, when I think back, I think it's not that long ago, you know, in my own lifetime, but they just didn't know they couldn't find the answer, and they took him to the Mayo Clinic. And Mark was arrested in Seattle. He ended up in several psychiatric wards because <laughs> he was doing cra acting crazy. But nobody ever caught it. Behavioral problems. That's what they told him. Oh my God! All right, so so you're going to be not only are you going to be in New York, you're in the the hub of the off Broadway community. You're right there on Theater Row uh, yeah. for this show. So so. Uh, the foot traffic is immense, and people are going to sit and witness this. What do you want them to take away from this? You know, again, we, we'll, we'll go see a musical somewhere. We'll say, isn't that pleasant? We'll go to a, a, a coffee house somewhere and talk about how funny it was. 
what, when, when they leave the theater, what do you want the audience to, to have in their brains, to have in their hearts from this? Uh, I, I want them to laugh. I want them to cry. I want to, them to open up. I want them to, to resonate with them. Uh, the love. Um, and cause so many people have come to me after seeing this and just sort of privately said, listen, you know, it's like, and they have these hidden away griefs griefs that they uh, they hide them and you know and then they'll come to me and go look my dad committed suicide and the family was all screwed up about it and you know number of people I don't know maybe it helps it helps connect people to know I think many many families have one person or another person that um, is going some some direction maybe it's not mental they're not in mental health uh, you know and, and if it's just pure entertainment, great. It's a bit of a religious thing at the end, you know. Um, but not not like, you know, not a come to Jesus moment, but just, uh, or come to Moses moment, but just uh, a, deep, a, a moment of, of deep silence in a way. Spirituality, it's a spiritual uh, moment. Spiritual, yeah, it turns kind of spirit. It does turn spiritual at the end, yeah. And so I, I wish to... Um, give everyone a banquet, a banquet of feelings and um, of life to, you know, come away with, like, you know, just enriched. Do, do you want it to be something where people can take action? Do you hope that people will, you know, just as they're saying it secretly to you, hey, my, my father did this, my brother did this, I had a sister who did that, etc. Uh, do you want them to then get up the next day and say, okay, I'm donating to a charity. I'm calling up to volunteer. I'm going to do research, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and also to understand that person on the street corners with the cup. There you, you go. Know, like, you know, to, uh, to have a, an insight into uh, that they're not, oh, what's it, in India, the, uh, not the underclass, what's the word? They're untouchables. They're not untouchables to understand that they are us. You know, that they are a part of us, that they're, that they, you know, yeah. So, so your big message is not so much, you know, come and entertain, but but take that moment as, you, as you're walking out of the theater and you walk down the block. If somebody's screaming to no one, don't just call them crazy or stupid. Take a moment and wonder why it's there. Yeah, yeah, in some way to see it and feel it differently. Maybe it would be a better world if we just stopped making fun of people and yeah. just thought about them. Right. Yes, it is that. Because people, it's not only mental health, I mean, they're, you know, I think I've also realized, like, myself, you know, uh, okay, I'm, like, built normal, I can walk, I'm a normal height, all that stuff, but there's a lot, a lot of human beings on this earth who are different. Yeah. Who, you know, the whole idea of normalcy, uh, what does that mean? You know, oh, uh, normalcy changes from second to second, from country to country. It's, yeah. it's a ridiculous word yeah. these days. It's a ridiculous word, yeah. Uh, I, to, to, yeah. Yeah. Please go on. No, just to to have a different idea that uh, you know we have these prejudices, and someone who is. You know, looks different, is different, was born with different facilities, or, or compromised through uh, a life-changing uh, accident or incident, you know, to realize that they're not living a half-life, 
necessarily. Uh, they're living their know? full life. Whatever their full life yeah. is, they're living it. And it should be celebrated yeah. in some sense. And if it can't, if they're not living a full life, they need to be helped, not not hindered, not insulted. Definitely. All right, here's the big question. I, I come to this revelation, maybe because, you know, when I, when I think something theatrical like this, I think, I thought your brother was no longer with us. Uh, I guess I guess it's the spoiler alert, so so we didn't say anything about it. But but now that you said he's still here, um, did you ever think? And here's the here's my last question and the big one: Would you ever want to perform this for him? Oh God, no! I will never even tell him about this. He wouldn't understand it. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. You know, my sister won't even see it. It's really? Like, yeah, no. She said it's way too heartbreaking for her. Uh, no one in my family has seen it. They won't see it. I think it's too devastating. I wish they would because it's very funny too, and it's a celebration of of my parents, of my dad, of, and my brother. You know, and how artistic and brilliant they were. I, I, the way you describe your brother, something tells me he'd probably watch it and be terribly flattered. <laughs> but. I, I don't know. I don't know what his real state of mind is. When I talk to him, you know, he'll say, Hi, Dana, how you doing? How's, how's your daughter? Um, you know, and everything going okay there? Well, that's just great to hear. That, that's how he talks. Well, uh -huh. and I say, how are you, Mark? Oh, I'm just fine, just fine. I'm not on the road anymore. My feet hurt too much. But, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm living life. You know, whatever he sees on TV, you know, he'll just spew, you know, spout that back. So, I, it would, if I told him that I wrote a show about, I mean, I could tell him I wrote a show about it, but if he say, he'd probably say, oh, that's real nice, Dana, that's real nice. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I, I don't have to tell you, uh, you're doing a good deed. You know, the, the point of, of the theater, the point of any uh, entertainment, quote-unquote, is to also enlighten that we need to walk. Theater used to be, theater yeah. was a religion in the days of the Greeks. It was a religion, right. um, and exactly. and so you need to walk out of a play like you'd walk out of a sermon, with something that you've learned and then something that you can you can take with you and and within your whole life and help the rest of the world. And may everyone that comes yeah. to see this here and wherever really understand this and really take your message to heart and and spread the proper word on it. Yeah, thank you. And I just want to add one more thing. You know, I got my uh, MFA in classical acting in Shakespeare. I spent a year immersed in Shakespeare. Huh. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that I both love Shakespeare, and it, it's just it's a real language-oriented play, and, um, and that's what Shakespeare did. As far as I'm concerned, no matter how great a tragedy, you know, it, there was always sarcasm, there, something that was funny, it was ridiculous, it was ironic. You know, uh, there, and there were fantasy uh, reflections of the same event. Oh, of course, the the grave digger in Hamlet is is the perfect example of adding humor at the worst possible yeah. moment. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, that's a good good point. That's a great uh, that's a great citation. May this show. Uh, 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 I'm not going to say be successful because that's that's so uh, that's so that's so esoteric. May this may this show make an impact on its entire audience. May may you may you scream it from the highest rafter in the largest theater across this country, and and may it really make a difference in a subject that people sadly know nothing about in some cases, very little about, 
and in some cases don't want to know about. And may may you open every door uh, for oh, the help of these people. I look forward to hearing all good things about this and getting okay. emails from you from across the country saying, well, Chicago loved it and, and Denver loved it. And 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 one day I, I look forward to hearing you say, and my brother was in the audience and he applauded. And, and oh, wow. that would be pretty cool. Dana, thank you very much. This has been enlightening. Give them hell on Saturday. And I'll give them hell, bro. There you go. And I will talk to you very soon. Okay, okay. Thank you so much, Jay. Ciao. Thank you.